I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. So if you would, open your Bibles up to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. We've made it to chapter 5, which in and of itself is a minor miracle. And um, today we're going to be talking about leadership. <clears throat> Forgive me again, we just got back from camp. Um, but it was a fantastic camp. We had the junior high and high school together, uh, and it was a really, really good camp. I was really blessed. Uh, really wonderful things we're seeing in the youth, and uh, very excited about it. But today we're going to be in First Peter 5 talking about the issue of leadership. Now, this is very timely. The, the timing of this is great because we have an election cycle right now going on in our country, and we're choosing our candidates for president for our various parties. And then, of course, we are choosing our president, our future president. And given America's track record, we're not very good at this. <laughs> and I'm grateful to be doing a study on leadership because as I hear the discussions of what people do and don't like about certain candidates, it's almost as though Christians look at candidates and they completely take their Bible glasses off. And they evaluate these people, these men and women, through completely wrong, unbiblical, worldly standards. Who can promise the most, who can, who can bluff the best, who can uh, have the most arrogance and pride. I mean, th these people should be looked at through biblical lenses. I vote as a Christian or I'm a hypocrite. You know, I, this is for Christians, okay? We should vote biblically. This should be the way it is. But I think that this, this sort of like cluelessness about leadership spills over into churches so that we sometimes don't know what we're looking for in spiritual leaders. And we look for the best speaker we can find, or we look for the person who can make us feel good, or we look for the person who can speak the most aggressively, or kind of, in fact, sometimes teachers and pastors are lifted up into high positions of leadership because they're able to tap into the carnality of the audience rather than their spirituality. So I'm very excited to get into this. It's very needful. This might end up being a two-week uh, topic, but we'll start today. <clears throat> so um, we need to know what to look for in leaders, and we need to know as leaders, those of us that lead, what sort of things is God looking for in us? What's he looking for in me so that I keep grounded? Because I believe, like for instance, when the Bible gives rules on marriage, it, it, it skips through all of the weird random advice the world might give and targets submission and love. And that these two things will make marriage work for the glory of God. And I think when God targets leadership, the advice he gives is specifically needful. It's not just, this is a good idea. It's like, oh, this is really essential. So here we are, 1 Peter 5, verse 1. He says, the elders who are among you, I exhort... I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So, as always, these are needful words, what he's about to give us. He has a message for the leaders of the church, and the first thing you notice is the term he uses for leadership is elders. <clears throat> that term elders, it just literally taken etymologically, it just means older. <laughs> That's what it means, elder. They're your elders. Um, but... The elder was not only a position you grew into because of age, it was something you were appointed to, the position of being an elder. So it's, it's used not only as someone who's older, but as someone who has a leadership position in the church. Now, we're not really given a whole lot of details about church government in the New Testament. In fact, many of us wish we were given more details. 
I think that God didn't give us a whole lot of details because he allows the church to be expressed differently in these various different cultures and different groups around the world. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. People don't have to do it my way, right? But God did give us some very important details. And that detail that comes up over and over again is that in the church, there are supposed to be elders. These are leaders. These are men who are leading the congregation or the people of God. And there are a number of them. There's a plurality of elders. That's one of the details we're given in the scripture, right? For this reason, Timothy, I left you in Ephesus that you might appoint elders. And so that it's a plurality that's with one city, there's multiple leaders that are there. So this is not the kind of eldership or bishop bishoping that we see in the Catholic church was a bishop over like the Bishop of Rome is the Pope of the Catholic church. Well, if it was a biblical concept, this would be multiple elders, not just one who then takes this massive amount of authority. Also another detail we're given. So there's a plurality of them in, it should be in every church, ideally. Um, also they're ordained. They're not voted in. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say, don't let the congregations vote. And I'm not here saying a congregation that votes for their leaders is therefore unbiblical and ungodly. I'm just telling us what, what the example is in the scriptures. And the example is that they're ordained by godly men. That, that there are godly men who are leaders, you know, recognized leaders who ordain others and say, okay, we trust you with this role. We trust you with this role. Now, you might go, what keeps these men from getting weird? And the answer is this, this, the Holy Spirit and the other Christians around them. When leaders get weird, our job is to go to them, confront them, deal with them. If they will not receive, we have to make a judgment call. If, we, if it's a weirdness enough for us to take off, weirdness enough for us to speak up publicly, if it's a gospel issue, I'm not just going to take off. I'm going to openly rebuke this thing. Um, or if it's a subtle weirdness, like what I try to impart, um, then you just you just endure it. <laughs> so elders, there's a plurality of them. They're ordained, not voted in. They were appointed over and over again. We see this through Acts and through the epistles that there's an appointing of these elders. There's even qualifications given for elders in in First Timothy and in Titus. And um, and this is without a doubt organized religion. <laughs> sorry, oh sorry, I said the O word. <laughs> it's organized. Um, those who come against organized religion usually don't think very deeply about that concept of what is, I mean, it's, it's organized as opposed to disorganized religion. I mean, what would that be like? Who leads you guys? Oh, stop it. We don't have a leader. Says who? Says me. Well, that makes you the leader, doesn't it? Oh, uh, wait a minute. Of course it's organized. It's always organized. But God has given us a certain way of, of organizing it, a certain bare bone structure that we should try to incorporate into our fellowship. But the accountability that's there is the part that kind of bothers some people is that there might be certain, certain men in the church that I'm, I have some sense of accountability to as an individual in that church, because these people have based on first Corinthians, the ability to what, to remove me from the fellowship, to disfellowship me. That's a biblical excommunication. It doesn't kick me out of Jesus. It kicks me out of the congregational fellowship is what it does. <clears throat> so. Now, you might be thinking this isn't for me because I'm not a leader. And the things we're going to get into in the detail here about the commands and issues to leaders, you feel like it may not apply to you. But please listen up because, one, you have to know what good leadership is so you don't put yourself and your, those under your influence underneath bad leadership. Because that one decision of choosing poor leaders will impact my life greatly. 
very, very greatly. It really will matter what kind of teaching I sit under and what kind of pastors I'm willing to listen to and then to raise my kids under or to bring my friends from work and stuff to come and be part of that. That really does matter. Um, who you put yourself under really matters. Um, also, you never know what God has planned for your future. And if you have leadership in any, in any way, whether you're an elder at a church or if you are just, you're leading your family, you're leading your children, you're leading, you happen to have a leadership position in this person's life, then these things are going to apply to you in a secondary fashion. So I think they do apply in a very, rap, uh, very practical way. Okay, so he says he's witnessing or sharing with them as fellow elders. That means that Peter considered himself an elder. This is really tough inductive Bible study we're doing here. He considers himself a fellow elder. This would be a perfect opportunity for Peter to assert himself as the elder of elders. One of the names sometimes people call the Pope, you know, the elder of elders, the bishop of bishops, the leader of leaders, the, the man of men, you know, or something like that. But he just calls himself a fellow elder. He's on, he's in line with them. There is no sense in the scripture that there's one elder who's above all the rest. There's rather the sense in which the elders are accountable to God directly. And that's a scary thing, by the way. That's not like, oh, no one's over their head. No one's, yes, you should second guess their, their, their decisions. We just don't have another position in addition to that. He's a fellow elder, but then he also qualifies himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. A witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now this, I think, is him reminding them that he's not only an elder, he's also an apostle. In Acts chapter 1, we read that one of the qualifications of being an apostle was that you were there picked by Jesus to be there with him all the way through from the beginning through his sufferings. I think that was sort of disqualifying Judas, who abandoned before that final time came, you know. So he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He has the apostolic ministry as well as an eldering ministry. Um, now that ap apostolic ministry ended with those apostles. Why? Because none of, nobody else was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. There was, there was none other who were along these same lines. And so what we have is we have their ministry continued in the New Testament. We have the, the letter we're reading. We have his apostolic ministry continuing to us as we read 1 Peter. As we read 1 Peter chapter 5, it's ministering to us freshly today. <clears throat> so um, he refers to himself as also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. A partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So I'm a fellow elder. I'm a, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and I'm a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And I, I, I just suddenly get this contrast of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that will be revealed. Peter was so shaken by the sufferings of Christ that he denied even knowing Jesus. He was so shaken at the time. That's like deep and dark and hard stuff. But then he looks up and just, oh, the glory of the God revealed in my life. I mean, I'm going to be in heaven in his presence forever. Christians should never think about suffering without thinking about glory. We should in the same verse in our minds, you know, that I'm dealing with suffering, I should be reminding myself of glory. It is when I go, oh yeah, whatever, to the promises of God and the glory of God, that my sufferings seem big. But when I see the glory of God, my sufferings seem so small, that they're not worthy to be compared, that there's this light affliction, which is but for a moment, is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in me. So I just like the contrast of the sufferings of Christ and the glory. He's a partaker of the glory. And it's, it's current tense. It's present tense. I'm already a partaker. I've already partaken or partook of the glory. Partook it. It's the King James Version right there. 
<laughs> so he's already enjoying the glory that will be revealed. And we have the Holy Spirit as a down payment in our lives to give us like glimpses and senses of heaven and of our relationship with God to kind of give us this sort of help, <laughs> you know, that we need to, to help us push through and be like, you know what? I know what you have for me, God. I know you've touched my life. I know you've been working in me and through me and this glory is coming. And I've already tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so I'm excited for that. And I will not look at the gory without considering the glory in my life. Or I will get off. And you'll find yourself saying and thinking things that sound very unchristian about the sufferings you're experiencing because you've forgotten the whole picture. It's not that you see the suffering. It's that you don't see the glory. So remember that. So then he goes on and he gives us six instructions to elders. Six instructions to elders. And we can learn a lot from these instructions that these are things I want to be and there are things I want to see in those that I look to for leadership. So the first word he gives to them is I exhort to the elders who are among you. I exhort to exhort is sort of like in between teaching and like being a drill sergeant. It's somewhere in the middle there, right? Where I'm, I'm giving you instructions and do it. Get to it. Pull through it. Get, do this thing. I'm exhorting you. So it's, it's, it's encouraging others towards action is the idea of exhortation. So this could be offensive because they're like, well, I, but I'm a leader. But I'm an elder. But I already know this stuff. So you don't have to exhort me. I've actually encountered some, and it's more of those who are younger in ministry who are serving and then and they feel a need to always be the one exhorting others, but never the one being exhorted. They feel a spiritual need to have sort of a, I don't know, supremacy of those around them, around those who are near them, you know, where, oh, how are you, but how are you doing, brother? Can I pray for you? You know, this and this, and I'm going to give you encouragement. But when you try to give it to me, I'm just like, choo, 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 choo. you know, the wall goes up and the just distance comes and they feel that they've always got to be the one giving, but never receiving. I'm aware of this tendency in all of us, myself included, and so I try really hard if someone feels like they have something for me to go, oh, yeah, no, please tell me. I want to listen. I want to receive that. I have to do that on purpose because pride and arrogance of my flesh would keep that from happening. He says, I exhort you. So the leaders, the teachers, one of the major qualities they need is they need to be teachable. Not just teaching, but teachable receptive and receiving, listening to others around them. So many ministry failures and mistakes are made because a pastor or leader who's making decisions doesn't listen to those around him, giving them the warnings that would keep him from making the mistake because he's like, no, once I've said it, I've got to follow through and do it or it undermines my leadership. That's a worldly mentality. That's not a godly mentality. So if anything, I think teachers need it more. Because I'm not only making decisions that affect me, I'm making decisions that affect others. So I need a receptive attitude. And it's hard for people to approach teachers. They're intimidated and freaked out about it, you know? So if someone gets the courage to come up and tell you as a teacher that something they think is wrong, then listen. Maybe there's a really good reason why they're bothering to approach you on that. Weigh it with scripture. Give it some thought. And I sit constantly under the teaching of other leaders all the time. I sit under Pastor Gary. I make sure no matter how busy we are that we get to go in and be part of the service and receive from his teaching and listen to him. When I have challenging issues or discussions or difficult moments or decisions that need to be made, I involve Pastor Gary in that stuff. I intentionally put myself under his leadership because that's what I ought to do for my own sake. 
for my own sake. I also listen to podcasts and I listen to godly teachers that I, that I enjoy and look up to. And I, I could give you a list of names that I'm listening to on a regular basis. I mean, all the time, Allison's like, like happy when I walk out of the room half the time because I got my cell phone going with like a podcast just blasting in my ear. And she's like, oh, thank you for leaving so I can be in peace. Um, YouTube, I have YouTube ministries that guys I watch and look at and stuff like that for different things. And I think it's a really good idea. We have to be teachable. I mean, read the book of Proverbs. It is a worldly mentality that thinks that the teacher has to already know everything. It is a godly mentality to be a teacher who knows what they know, but knows what they don't know and is teachable and receptive on that and goes, Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That's good. That is good. Even wise men will become fools if they stop hearing correction. I think we've all seen it happen. If you've lived long enough, you've seen a formerly wise, wise person who slowly stepped into folly because they stopped listening because they wouldn't hear anymore. When we hear correction, like this, this exhortation from Peter, I think what a uh, good practice to have is uh, chewing up the wheat, spitting out the chaff. Here's something I learned from uh, my friend, Pastor Mac, who helped disciple me. And Mac would t- always, he would, he would, he gave me lots of opportunities to chew up the wheat and spit out the chaff because he constantly corrected me all the time. And I, actually, to this day, I still will go to him with an issue where I feel like some people are too nice to be honest with me. And I'll talk to Mac because I'm like, Mac, tell me what you see here. And he goes, yeah, that, you're just, you're being carnal. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, chew up the wheat, spit out the chaff. Well, there's wheat and there's chaff, right? The chaff is that husk around the wheat that doesn't taste good. It's got no nutritional value. It's actually bitter and yeah, you know, you, it doesn't, you, nothing good about that. The wheat though, that's the good stuff. So often, but I find that when people come to offer correction to us, they almost always don't present you with just wheat, the good stuff, what you needed to hear. They will almost always give you chaff right along with it. Now, what happens is I will tend to target the chaff and because of the chaff, the the stuff where, yeah, but they were wrong about that, but they misunderstood me here, but they misquoted me there. And then I throw out everything they've told me, but maybe there was a kernel of wheat, a truth that was in that correction, some element of it that was really helpful and could save me some pain. So chew up the wheat, spit out the chaff, go, you know what? I'm going to disregard this because I know for a fact that that's definitely not applying to me at all. But you know what? You know what is true is this. I made this mistake. You know what is true is that I, I didn't consider that. I wasn't thinking about that. I, I should have done this better and differently. So we chew up the way we spit out the chaff. It's a good hab- habit to have. Read the book of Proverbs. I mean, we've got to be correctable. It just rails on those who will not receive correction. Absolutely rails. So just get in there and read the book of Proverbs. Um, I also think that there's a fact that that teachers can sometimes leaders in general can sometimes have like this sort of, they've got the train going, you know, big trains, once you get them moving, they're going and going and going. And if you shut that engine off, it just keeps going. And it can keep going for a very long time. But after a while, the inertia comes off and it wears down and friction builds up and it slows down and eventually it stops. And so sometimes in leaders, we, we start well, we're running well, and then we get off track. We, we, our engine shuts off. I'm no longer being fed by the fuel of God's word. I'm no longer with my eyes on Jesus. I'm sort of going through the motions, working through my pre-planned agendas. And the engine's off. And it might be years down the road that finally, like Samson, you're suddenly aware, oh, when did the Holy Spirit leave me? When did this happen? And that's why God sends an exhortation into leaders' lives to keep that from happening to keep it from happening. So we've got to be receptive to those things. So his first piece of advice is in verse two, 
to these elders. He says, elders, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. I think that is our job in a word. The leadership in the church is to shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd them. Notice, he didn't say be a shepherd, although this is where we get the word pastor from. It's a shepherd. It's a shepherding thing, right? But this is a verb, shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God. See, it's not the position. It's the activity that's important to the elder, to the leader, to the person who's responsible for how they impact others. It's not about my position. It's about my responsibilities. Over and over again, we get this. It's a verb, not a noun. It's not a position. It's an action. So shepherds are primarily concerned with the physical health of the sheep around them, correct? Well, now this is, of course, an analogy. You're not actually sheep. Good news. (laughs) That would be a bummer. Really, the main emphasis of why we're called sheep is not because we're like sheep, but because he's like a shepherd. You know, and, and, and Jesus shepherds, he's our good shepherd, Psalm 23, and he does all these wonderful things for us. But the main emphasis here is I'm to care for the needs of the sheep, to build them up, to equip them so that the body, the sheep, can do the ministry. They're the ones that do the ministry. I, um, well, let me read it to you. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, it says this. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now notice the active verbs and passive and who's doing what here. It's the pastor teachers, right? And all these different roles, they're equipping the saints who are then the ones doing the work of the ministry. You're in ministry, not me. You're in ministry. I'm here to equip you so that you can go and do ministry. As you can leave this place and minister in your workplace and your families and everywhere else you go. I'm not your only source of equipping. I'm not your sole fount of the wisdom and truth of God. I'm one of the many, but I get to do that. And it's a humbling position to get to be able to do that. I'm really blessed by that. I'm kind of blown away that I get to do that. But the goal is that I equip the body that they might do the ministry. So I, so something is being produced by the body. And my goal is to help see that happen by enabling and empowering them. Healthy sheep is what we're going for because they'll naturally produce this wool. So it's healthy Christians naturally produce this ministry. Ministry, they serve, they bless, they do things in the name of Jesus and things happen in his name. So unlike normal shepherds though, clearly Christian leaders are mostly concerned not with the physical health of the church, but with the spiritual health of God's people. That's the primary concern. And I think that's important to realize because Ministries that minister to the physical health of people are hugely popular amongst Christian and non-Christian groups, so they tend to get the spotlight. But that is not Jesus' primary concern, clearly, through the scriptures. Jesus, notice this, Jesus fed the multitudes, but not just to feed the multitudes. He did it to underscore his teaching. So that when he taught them, it would have a greater impact. That's why he did it. That was what he wanted. This is why he tells them after he feeds them and they come back for more food and he goes, ah, you don't get it. Don't labor for the food which perishes. No, but labor for that which lasts for everlasting life. Ephesians 3 says this, 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees. It's Paul's prayer to the church. 
to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, that uh, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That's his major prayer. That the inner man would be strengthened. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God and have good healthy 401ks and have strong jobs that pay really well and be and have your kid, your kidneys and liver and everything functioning well into old age. Like totally so not the issue. It's spiritual. It's the inner man. And so ministries, I think Christian leadership should primarily be concerned with the spiritual health of the people that go to the church. And I can actually give you more scripture to back this up, and I will because I think it's important for us to understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, Therefore, in verses 16 through 18, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our, our outward man is perishing, the outward man, the physical man, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. I don't even get discouraged. My outward man's perishing, but man, my inner man's doing good. And that's more important. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 6, right? He said, don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about it. Focus on this. So the primary goal of the leadership in the Christian church is the spiritual health of the body of Christ. I say that because we're becoming more and more materialistic in our society. And there's a lot of groups and churches and ministries out there that are basically purely interested in physically helping people. And there's some that have started really well, like that train got going real big, but they have run out of steam and they're slowly rolling to a stop who have gone out and they do charities and they do wonderful things in the name of Jesus until suddenly people start coming against the fact that they're doing it in the name of Jesus. And they say, if you want to operate in our country, you have to drop the Jesus part, but you can still feed the poor and you can still you know, make orphanages, but you better take Jesus out of it. And to me, if a ministry says, okay, we'll take Jesus out, I'm like, you have decided to clothe a man for a day and yet have him unclothed with the righteousness of Jesus and end up in hell in eternity and you're okay with that. If Jesus isn't welcome, I'm not welcome. I don't see any compromise that we can make as Christians. Our priorities, the spiritual truths, the spiritual benefit, the eternal, and that's a bigger deal. Hello? What's more important than whether I eat tonight is whether I know Jesus for eternity, clearly. So the disciples, interestingly, in the book of Acts, there was a, a, an issue that came up early on where they were, it was about feeding widows and they needed somebody to take leadership over this issue of feeding the widows and who would, who would take care and make sure. Now, it was an important issue. It's not as though we're not saying here that, that, that feeding the poor has no place in the Christian. No, I'm not. Please don't understand that I'm saying that. I'm not. I'm just talking about priorities here, where it is on the list of priorities. And so the disciples go, you know what? It's not fitting that we should leave the word of God and prayer and take care of the food for the widows. So 
Select from amongst yourselves men who are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. So there's still requirements. They needed godly leaders to do this, right? And then they'll do it. And this is where Stephen gets involved in, in official leadership ministry type stuff, right? And he's taking care of the widows and he ends up being the first martyr. Really interesting story. But the, the, the teaching ministry of the apostles they thought was more important than pulling away from that and taking care of this feeding the widows. Now, I know in leadership, I have this, I have this bad habit of thinking that the solution to every problem is for me to get involved. You know, like, oh, this ministry is really struggling. You know, well, maybe I just need to get over there and help out. And then, but like, you just can't, you're literally pulled in all directions and it's just not possible. And so when I have to, now, if my plate's not full, I will put on any ministry. God will, like, I'll, I'll feed the poor. I'll clean up toilets for people who can't get out of the bed. You know, like whatever God wants me to do, I'm going to do that. But once my plate gets full, because I know my, my giftings, I'm going to pull the stuff off of it. That's not the higher priority stuff you know, of spiritual ministry and feeding the sheep, that kind of thing. So um, I, hope, I hope that makes sense. I hope that helps. I'm just trying to help us understand the, the priorities of ministry as they are laid out. We're shepherd, shepherding the flock of God. That's the idea. And yes, shepherding is meeting every need, but we're, we're to highlight spiritual needs. That's the emphasis. And so we have examples from Acts. We have examples from Jesus to support that idea. So Peter, here he's writing, and notice this, his commission from Jesus, after he denied him three times, then Jesus sort of brought him back in John 21, and his commission was to feed the sheep and tend the lambs. These are the terms used, feed the sheep and tend the lambs. So he's writing, he's a shepherd, the flock of God. It's hard to think that this would be too far from his mind, this really awesome experience of Jesus. After the death and resurrection, right before the ascension, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Okay, and so this is the idea that we're feeding the sheep. There's a sense of feeding that goes on. Well, there's, is this about food or is this a spiritual thing? And this is spiritually, it's like give them the things that they need. And Peter did this. He continued to feed. He labored in the word. Peter and the apostles, why were they laboring in the word? Didn't they just have it all from Jesus? Like, I think that they went and were searching the Old Testament and searching for understanding Jesus better. And then they would come and explain these things to them. They were recounting and writing down what Jesus had said and going, hmm, yes, the parables, now we get it, you know. And then they were sharing those things to people. So it does seem in the Bible that though not all elders teach, 1 Timothy 5.17, he talks about the teaching elders, the elders who labor in the word, a separate group from all other elders. Um, so not all elders teach, but 1 Timothy 3.2, all elders are supposed to be able to teach able to teach, capable of teaching. I think every community of believers, whether they're small or big, they should have teaching leadership. They need teaching leadership. Now, I'm one of these people. Now, I'm not, I'm not, now in our church, just the way we have our church society structured, you know, here at Hosanna, I'm not technically an elder. I think that I'm fulfilling the biblical term of elder, eldering. I don't think I'm pastoring. I think pastors are elders, though. In my opinion, they're, they're not two different things. Um, and so though, if you're going to be this eldering role, you should be able to teach capable of teaching. Now notice this capable of teaching is not capable of holding massive crowds attention for long periods of time. Rather, I'm able to explain the truths of God in ways that others can understand. That's able to teach. It's very simple. We don't need these out of the ballpark, crazy good teachers in every church. We just need men who are able to communicate truths of God so that the people can be receiving that teaching so they can be built up so they can take that teaching into their lives and do the work of the ministry. That's the idea. 
So every community of believers should have this. Um, this is, however, missing in some home fellowships. And I'm not coming against home fellowships. I love home fellowships. And I love the idea of people planning home churches. And we need more of that. Especially in communities where the local pastors have largely abandoned the teaching of the word of God. We need home fellowships to start. But sometimes home fellowships are not started out of a passion for obeying God. They're started out of a passion for rebelling against the church. And when that, when my reason for a home fellowship is because of my complaints instead of because of the passions to do things God's way, then something's wrong with my heart. I'm really just angry. And there was recently a book I uh, saw advertised called How to Follow Jesus Without Going to Church. And my first thought was, oh, great, another one of these things. Because <laughs> everybody shares it and it gets a lot of notoriety, not because of the content, but because it's like, you know, it's fiery. It's, it's edgy. Ooh, look at this, you know. And people, it's controversial, so it gets all over the place and it doesn't deserve any attention. But yet, there it is. And here it is in my message. I'm talking about it already, you know. But the idea, if the title correctly reflects the book, because sometimes they don't, but if the title correctly reflects the book, then the book is bunk. Like, just come on. Are you serious? Yeah, Jesus wanted you to not go to church. Now, then it, I guarantee if the book is the way the title sounds, it'll be complaints about mega churches, complaints about 501c3 churches, complaints about super pastors and blah, 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 blah. But what it won't be is a passionate desire to do things God's way. If I'm going to start a home fellowship in the name of Jesus, I better have teachers, elders that are capable of teaching, or I should not do it. I should be involved where they do have elders that are capable of teaching. This is, this is the thing, you know? And this means laboring in the word, not just opening it up and saying some flippant thing about a random passage, but being faithful to the scriptures and digging and saying, feed my sheep, give them the truths of God. This is a requirement for leadership is that they be able to do this. So tend the sheep is the idea of tending the sheep is just sort of taking care of their needs in general. What are their needs? I think it's healthy for the leadership to look at the church and say, what do they need? Not what do they want? What do they need? What are the needs in the local church? Is there a lack? Do we need a new believers class because there's a lack in that area? Do we need a, a ministry to this particular group of people? But I think here's where sometimes they get a little bit off. Sometimes leadership casts a vision, not for the church they have, but for the church they wish they had. And sometimes worship leaders do this too, right? Cast my vision for the worship ministry, cast my vision for the church. And it has nothing to do with the people showing up on Sunday and everything to do with that one concert they went to, you know, or that church that they visited one time. And they're like, how can I make my congregation look like that one did? And that I think is, an, is, is totally backwards. Let me, here's how I let the people lead me as a leader is I go, what do they need? Lord, what do they need? Knowing spiritual priorities are first. What do the people need? I want to do that. I want to do that. Is there a lack of theology in this church? Then I'm going to do stuff on theology. Is there a lack of a passion to follow Jesus? And, you know, we need to be doing discipleship. You know, we need to do one-on-one -on -one discipleship and stuff like that. Is there a lack of people speaking the word of God? They're scared to evangelize. And then, you know, what do we need to target? We need to deal with this evangelism issue. What's going on? Are there Jehovah's Witnesses coming door to door to all the people in my church? What do I need to talk about? Jehovah's Witnesses, like I'm going to let the needs of the church rise to the surface to affect how I minister. And I think that that's really important. 
taking care of their needs. Look at how this happened in Acts chapter 2, right? Acts 2.42, you're, most of you are familiar with the passage, right? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So that they're in prayers, breaking bread, that refers to this, these, these feasts, these not only communion, like having, but it wasn't like a little cup and, and that's okay that we do that. But that wasn't, it was rather, it was this, imagine this, combined with the after church hangout meal. It, it was fellowship, man. They were getting together and spending time with each other. And, we, and this is important for us as believers to just have time together, you know, as, as Christians. But they also were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching. Doctrine is supremely important. Every, now, some people go, well, I don't like doctrine. I just like Jesus. And I'm like, yeah. But as soon as you say something about Jesus, that's doctrine. Like, that's doctrine. You can't possibly escape doctrine. Do you think Jesus is good? Oh, yeah, he's good. That's doctrine. This is doctrine. You're not escaping doctrine. Like, don't poo-poo doctrine because you're poo-pooing on yourself at that point. It's just really embarrassing. But <laughs> but anyways, um, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And the way we can do this now is by just being in the scriptures together and continuing steadfastly in that. And I think that's one of the things that will bless the church and be part of that. So notice this. You're to shepherd leaders, shepherd the flock of God, not the flock of Mike. I have a Sunday evening. Guess what? Sunday evening is not my flock. Hello, my flock. <laughs> Come to me and I will give you all. No, I can't. It's your God's flock. Like I'm, I am literally every time I teach, I'm a guest teacher in a sense. I come into Christ's flock. I come into the flock that belongs to him. And I have a responsibility to do well in his eyes for his people. They're his flock. I get a little bit nervous when I hear, and I hear youth pastors do this sometimes is, well, my kids and my church and my kids, and they get this sense of ownership over the youth in their church. And they go, and so I like to say things like, well, the students at Hosanna or the students at our church, just for my own heart's sake, you know, so that I don't get like arrogant. Like I sometimes remind our leaders, you guys, they're not your kids, right? Like A, they belong to God, not you. B, they have parents. You're not them. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm a lesser influence than the parents in their lives. And I want to have a good influence. But, but let's just remember my role here. It's the flock of God. It's not Mike's group or, or Pastor Gary's church. And you're Pastor Gary's people or, or something like this. And some leaders get this way. And I want to punch them in the nose because of their arrogance. And it's like, you're going to... Hey man, me hitting you in the nose seems like it'd be grace compared to Jesus when he comes and sees you acting this way. Um, yeah, so they're not mine. Shepherds aren't leaders in the worldly sense. We are caretakers seeking the health of the flock, which means we should care about people, not see ourselves as authorities over people. I should care for the needs of the flock care about them pastors who despise people if, if you're a, if you're secretly thinking man you just, you just hate people like you're just carnal that's your problem i'm not saying you have to quit your job i'm saying you should stop being carnal repent of that bad attitude god so loved the world but sometimes i just hate them all okay well deal with this because what's in your heart will come out of your mouth and your ministry will reflect the fact that you secretly despise others and it's going to come out it's going to affect and impact your ministry. You can't hide it. I mean, I learned a long time ago, right? We all wear all of our emotions on our sleeves. Sometimes we think we don't. You, know, you, get, you get older and you realize that you see kids and like, you're like, it's everything you're thinking is so obvious on your face, you know? And with adults, it's like, 
pretty much the same. You know, <laughs> I can tell when someone's not happy with me, doesn't like me. <laughs> it's very obvious. I just don't say anything because uh, can't fix it anyways. But, but yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's there. So ministers need to realize this is, these are God's people and we have to care for them as we care about them, as we minister to them. That's the idea. That's the idea, to lift them up, to lift them up. Notice this also, there's so much stuff in these, in these perfect words, right? Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, which is among you. This limits, this limits the role of responsibility of any particular leader, doesn't it? I'm to shepherd directly ministering to the flock of God that's among me. Now, when I have opportunities to go and speak somewhere else or do some other thing, if it messes up my ministry here at Hosanna, I say no. Why? Because this is the flock of God which is among me, which is among you. This, this is, these are the ones that I'm around. So I'm going to minister to them. That's going to be the sphere of my ministry, the major focus of it. So I put that as my, my number one priority. And I think that this is really cool. They have authority. Yes, these, these leaders have authority, but this authority is limited. They are minister to the people you have, not the imaginary group you wish you had. Minister to these people. If, you're, if you think they're weird and all this other stuff, like you're just wrestling with your own weirdness, okay? Just deal with it and move forward and bl- start blessing and ministering to them. And then you'll suddenly, the light will go on. And you'll see that they're people God loves. God has called. Christ has blessed, forgiven. He's given them his Holy Spirit. And now he's given you the blessed role of getting to minister to them. Like, you should be blessed. You should be blessed. Um, also notice this. I'm going to shepherd the flock of God, which is among me. My major ministry is to believers, not unbelievers. Pastors should focus their ministry on believers. I took me a year of being a youth pastor to learn this. I would try to cajole and get the youth to turn their hearts to Christ. Just believe in Jesus, man. Oh, you've got nothing to lose, you know, except, you know, your worldly life and the pleasures and all the sins that you enjoy and possibly some friends and maybe even some family and you, you know, might be persecuted for your faith and stuff like that. But other than that, you got nothing to lose, man. Anyway, I try to convince people to turn, 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 turn on a regular basis. And what the Lord showed me was that by focusing my attention on the rebellious students who came every week and didn't want Jesus, they just came for, for community because we loved on them and stuff, or they came because their parents had them come. I was ignoring the, she- the flock of God that was among me that really wanted to learn and grow. So after one year of youth ministry, a huge shift happened as I was praying for direction and praying for wisdom. I don't really do the pray for vision thing where it's like I get like some special five-point sermon vision thing that I give to the people and they can get all excited about. Like I think that that just comes from like uh, CEO, like motivational classes and stuff like that. I don't really, I don't, when you read about vision in the scripture, that's not the kind of vision you read about, in my opinion. Um, now... What I did get was this. I got what Jesus told us a long time ago. It was completely unoriginal. Mike, make disciples. Matthew 28. Make disciples. Jesus, I wanted like some special vision just for me. And he's like, "Um, how about you do what I want? Instead of looking for your your flashy gizmos and your, your, your things that you're looking for. No, just make disciples. And so I shifted the focus of my teaching ministry on building up the believers and more people got saved as a result of that than ever did for me preaching gospel, gospel, gospel constantly. Now I still pepper the gospel into everything I do. You know, I mention it throughout my teaching. But I focus on building up believers and they were built up. And then they did the work of the ministry. And I was like, wow, it's almost like you planned it out that way, Lord. You know, and what do you know? Ephesians 4 is true. Yeah. I was following some examples I had seen 
I was following what I perceived to be needs, but I wasn't paying attention to the clear declaration of what the scripture tells me to do. And as leaders, we got to do that. We got to pay attention. So our job in a word, shepherd the flock of God, which is among us. And then it says, serving as overseers, serving as overseers. So we are overseers. Now that word elder and then this word overseer are used of the same individual. Later on, the word overseer is also used in one of the epistles. And it's the word we translate bishop. The bishop must be blameless, a husband of one wife and all this not given to wine, all that sort of thing, right? I think an elder and a bishop are the same thing, biblically, based on this passage. You're overseeing, you're, you're, you're bishoping, right? Serving as bishops, that's actually what that is. Um, so I do think that elder and bishop are a synonymous term in the Bible. I think deacon is, the, is a, so you have two leadership terms were given for New Testament churches after apostles and prophets and stuff that you've got, well, evangelists too. So these are, these are uh, uh, trailblazers planting churches and stuff like that. But then you've got uh, who are in the church, permanent positions of the church, elders and deacons. Deacon is, a, is also a leadership position. I think that um, Stephen is an example of a deacon. He's taking care of the, the, the very important leadership issues, but they may not be like what you might think of as more pastoral type teaching type duties, that kind of thing. So I hope that makes sense. Um, so now we're overseers or we're, we have bishop type authority, but here's the deal. It's not authority over the Bible. It's authority under the Bible. I have, I have the authority to go ahead and answer certain issues. I don't have authority over the choices of people. If you're going to come to me and be like, Mike, who should I marry? And I'm like, well, let me pray. That guy, you know, I'm not, this is not my role. It is not my job. Um, I have authority over the ministries of the church, over, over the ones I've been given authority over. I have authority in that realm underneath my senior pastor. I have authority for solving congregational issues that can come up, some of them anyways, helping to solve them. I have the ability to do that. Um, to stand and teach the word of God, which is probably the scariest one. There's great accountability for what I'm doing great accountability and I'm playing with fire to stand and teach the word of God. So, I, but I have the, I have the authority to speak it out. I, however, do not have the authority to change it or twist it or make it mean what I want it to mean. Oh, I have the authority to simply proclaim it as it is. And I have the authority to help make budget and leadership decisions in the church. Where are we going to go? We're going to do an outreach. Uh, we're going to go out to this place and we're going to do this kind of outreach. These just practical decisions for our gatherings. I have an authority that allows me to serve the body of Christ. That's the idea. It just helps me to do the job. However, I would say authority or the overseer or the bishop type role should never be taken apart from the word serving, serving as overseers. It's a servant role. I'm authority to serve. The job is to serve, to hold others up. That's the idea. Just like suffering should never be considered apart from glory, authority should never be considered apart from service. Ever. Ever, But it is our tendency, and I'm speaking of leaders, Christian leaders, it is our tendency to become bloated, egotistical, me-centered, arrogant, proud, self-concerned, self-absorbed, self-defending, and paranoid. I've seen it happen, and I've been tempted to it myself. Because I'm a sinner. To feel that serving me is serving God. To use my authority to maybe try to get people to give me free services because I'm the pastor. To try to keep heaping up financial rewards for myself in my authority, thinking that they're serving the Lord by giving to me. Some people think that this adds prestige 
to give myself a, a, a royal guard after Sunday services when I teach that they, they keep the crowds away from me. That's not like Jesus, man. It doesn't add prestige to your ministry to get arrogant and proud and lifting up the pastoral role. It just adds worldliness, carnality, and ungodliness into the ministry. That's all it adds. And I say this so that we can be guarded against those who do it because we have local churches here in our area that do this stuff. That, that do this stuff. Where the pastor, I heard a story just yesterday where a pastor went up to a couple and he tells them, you only gave me $100. So-and-so gave me $300. So-and-so loves me. You don't love me. I want to punch this guy in the face. That's my flesh. <laughs> but that's what it wants to do. <laughs> it's so frustrating to see somebody doing this. Someone doing that kind of horrible, horrible stuff. If you're not a servant, then you're not a leader. Not a Christian one. Not a Christian one. Listen to Jesus. He says in Luke 22, verses 25 through 27, he says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. Now that would be a title. That was like a, oh, great benefactor. Oh, holy, right, reverend, so-and-so. Right? These big titles, big titles. I've actually been introduced at certain events, like as the reverend. The, that word reverend, it means you are greatly revered. Like, that's weird, man. Like, oh, the Reverend Mike Wingo, come up here. And I'm just like, oh, this is the worst moment of my life right now. <laughs> People call, and I, I meet someone, and they're, and they're like, um, Pastor, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike. Like, yeah, uh, what do I call you? <laughs> like, you just call me Mike. I pretty much only introduce myself as pastor when it's to help the situation. If I'm, if I'm calling a church and I need to talk to their, like, hey, this is Pastor Mike at Hosanna. Can I talk to so-and-so? Um, I don't mind calling other guys pastor. I don't care if people call me pastor or not. I, I literally don't. Couldn't care less. Um, but if I let my heart make that title into an important thing, something's wrong with me. That's my flesh. That's, that's a bad thing. That's a bad sign. So, um, yes. And, and this is why, actually, sometimes I see people serving in ministry who aren't pastors, but people don't know this, so they call them pastor, and they're okay with it. And then I see like these kids are like, hey, Pastor so-and-so. And he's like, yes. And I'm just like, whoa, red flag. I'm not guarding the role of pastor. I'm guarding your heart from arrogance and pride and loving of titles. Watch out, buddy. Watch out. So he says those who, uh, who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. Pastor, holy, right, reverend, so-and-so. <clears throat> but not so among you. Not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. The younger walks around quietly waiting for others to speak. The younger gives respect. The younger gives honor to others, not thinking to receive it for himself. And he who governs, let him be as he who serves. As he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? Well, this is, this is easy, right? The one who, who sits at the table is greater. The servant is not... He goes, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus has given us an example to follow and it doesn't fit worldly leadership. Pride has no place in leadership. It's the opposite of the world. I have this position to serve. This doesn't mean I can't say no, right? This doesn't mean I can't say no. Just like the apostles said no to the ministry of helping the elderly women, which is super important. But they said no because they had priorities, right? Once my plate gets full, it's just an issue of priorities. 
Until it's full, I'll take any ministry opportunity. I don't care what it is. You know, and that's, that's my philosophy. It always has been. When it's a question of time, I choose my calling amongst the opportunities. But um, So I must see myself as a servant just like Jesus did. And this is evident, I think, in how the leader responds to being overlooked. Being forgotten, being ignored, being abused, being unthanked. Being unthanked. How they respond to someone falling asleep in their study. How they respond to someone leaving their church to go somewhere else where someone has better teaching, maybe, or better whatever it is, you know? How they respond to being treated as a servant will show you if they really are in their heart a servant. That's what will show. How they respond to being corrected or given instruction or that humble believer who walks in and says, uh, Pastor, I just want to talk to you about something. I think that I think that there's something we're missing in our church. and I wanted to bring it to you. Is he like, well, hey, please be open to tell me about it. Or are they like, oh, are you doubting the anointing of the Lord upon me? <laughs> like, leave that church. <laughs> yes, arrogance has no place. Luke 17, 10, Jesus said this. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you were commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. And it's not sarcasm. We're unprofitable. No, he literally means it. Just be like, hey, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. Well, Mike, that was, I was blessed. Thank you for teaching the word. Oh, I'm, thank you for encouraging me, telling me that. I don't need to tell you. I need to say it in my heart. Like, I'm just doing my job. This isn't about, oh, Mike. Here I go. Level up. That's so dangerous. Honor, dignity, and a sense of duty are needed for leadership. Pride is definitely not on that list, though. So I'm going to fulfill my calling, just run with endurance, and um, look at even the fellow leaders I serve with as those who serve with me, but not the people that serve me. I serve with people, but they don't serve me. And so sometimes I might give instructions. Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? But that's just because I see the whole picture and I'm trying to get it, put it all together, you know, but not because they're serving me. And I have had people who come into ministry and they're like, Mike, I just want to lift up your arms, man. I just want to serve you, buddy. It's all, I just want to serve you, man. These are always the people that get really mad at me later on because I realize they have me on this weird pedestal that I, I, I don't belong on, you know? And then when they saw me fall off and saw me for who I really was, yeah, he's not as awesome and godly as I thought he was. Then they're mad at me for it. And I'm like, man, you made that up. I didn't say that. <laughs> I actually meant it when I said I was a sinner. But anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, I think for the sake of, of time, I want to pause it right where we're at right now. And we're just going to close in prayer. And then I'll open it up to questions if you guys have thoughts or opinions about this sort of thing. And I might off the, ca- off the camera share with you guys some other stuff. But um uh, but we're going to continue and we'll finish this concept about leadership and godly leadership to apply it into our lives. And I think that it's so perfect and per- it's just perfect for us. If you're a parent, you're a leader. You know, you have a leadership role. If you're discipling someone, you've got a leadership role. And all these same truths apply equally to that leadership role so that we can hopefully learn the lessons and apply them across the board in all of our lives, in all of our lives. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your commands to us as, le- as leaders because um, this world, and, and let's be honest, our Christian culture around us that's not actually very Christian at all, they endorse the arrogance and pride and self-love of leaders. They, they want their leaders to be like rock stars. But Jesus, you do not want your people to be this way. 
So let us be renewed and restored in your calling to serve, to let the word of God be the thing that's communicated, that it might build up the saints and minister their spiritual needs, priority one, that they might go and do the work of the ministry and serve and, and, and be a blessing. God, we pray that you would let us all learn from this passage to, uh, to get us right and get us focused and just blow away carnality from leadership in Jesus' name. Amen.